Hey, Nate. Hey, what's up? It's time for another episode of DLN Extend. Woohoo! <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of DLN Extend. If you haven't listened before, we choose topics covered by the Destination Linux Network that we think need further discussion and extend the conversation. These shows include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Tux Digital, and our newest podcast, Hardware Addicts. I'm Eric. And I'm Nate a Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. So Eric, what have you been up to? It's been a bit of a light week for me. I've focused my attention on the Ubuntu 20.04 Focal Fossa release. I've been waiting to try it out until they hit feature freeze. So the daily builds have been available for months now, and lots of people have been running it for quite a while. Uh, Alan Pope has been out there making some videos and encouraging folks to give it a try. Uh, I've got several friends that have been using it. And so finally, I took the plunge and it's pretty fantastic. I ran into an issue where my laptop, I have a Dell XPS 9570, the controls for the, the display brightness weren't working. And this was true if I was using the keyboard function controls, the hot keys, or if I was in the control panel, there was just nothing I could do to get it to work. And it was pretty dim and kind of a weird situation. So I went and researched a bit and found that there were several bugs logged. Turns out there was an issue with the 5.4 kernel that they were including in the installation and the release. The suggestion was to try a different kernel and see if that fixed it. So I went out to the mainline kernel repository that Ubuntu maintains and just grabbed I think I got the 5.5.7 kernel, which was the latest in the 5.5 series. And sure enough, everything works now. Uh, it also said in there that they are working on the 5.4 kernel and putting a, a patch in for that. They, they've already identified what it is and they're going to fix it. So that won't be an issue. When it's fixed, I'll switch back to it. Other than that, the highlights in this release are the newer version of GNOME. So it's GNOME 3.3.6. And it's it's still not out yet, so 3.3.6 isn't released. So it's, if you look at the version, it's actually 3.3.5-something. They've included a lot of really nice little creature comfort polish, things like a Do Not Disturb that's easier to find in your notifications. They have a really nice uh, new login screen. The uh, animations are really cool on the lock screen. It's a lot of, I guess, smaller things, at least the things that are visible to me without digging into the release notes and the, you know, the commits and stuff to, to really figure out some of the under, under the hood stuff. Now I will say that it just seems overall smoother. There is some performance benefit here. And with Ubuntu on this laptop, at least, this is the best performance I get in terms of my graphics and the way that their Optimus implementation works and with the NVIDIA drivers. So between those fixes and those changes in, you know, a newer kernel, the newer version of GNOME, and some of the nice little features in there, and then Ubuntu itself, even though we're still probably six weeks, I think, something like that, six or seven weeks from release, it's uh, it's been really usable, very stable, and I'm really enjoying it. 
So if you haven't tried it, it's probably a good time to do that if you have an interest, because right now would be a great time for you to try it on your hardware. And if you have any issues or bugs, report them. And the more people that do that, the more things that will get fixed and the better the release will be. And this is also true not just for Ubuntu, but all of the flavors as well. So Kubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, it's Ubuntu. I'm going to forget somebody I know, and I apologize if I do. But if you have an interest in any, <laughs> any one of these specific releases or distributions, definitely go out and give it a shot. Hardware's best because that's where you're going to find probably issues. I would have never found that display issue in a virtual machine. All right, yeah. If what I see so far is any indication, I think it's really going to be a stellar release. So standout features, you said a GNOME is gonna, has now a Do Not Disturb, similar to what Plasma or Elementary have? So what they've done is to make a toggle. So if you drop down the notifications, there's actually a Do Not Disturb toggle that's just there now. It's, it's under at the bottom of the, uh, the flyout. So it just makes it really easy to activate it and actually makes it nice that you don't get these continuous pop-ups because depending on what you have open, everyone knows that you could just be getting a lot of notifications that get really, really annoying and distracting depending on what you're trying to do. And of course, they always come at the wrong possible time. Absolutely. Like when recording DLN Extend or something like that. <laughs> or making a video, which is even better because then it's <laughs> on your screen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which yeah. is more awesomeness. Oh, yeah. So much fun. <laughs> so, Nate, what have you been up to this week? It's also been a, little, a bit of a light week for me. I, I've been playing with Plasma 5.18. I did a little, uh, little blathering on it on my website. I'm really happy with the... It's not like earth-shattering changes, like 5.17 to 5.18. It's not like anything is really grand. But something I did notice that was a, it's been an improvement is little spacing things in the notifications and, and things not like overlapping and becoming unmanageable. I had some issues in 5.17 with... If I had a... You know, when I reconnected to a network and... Telegram decided to freak out and tell me everything that's going on here and, you know, all my notifications started popping up and, and Discord or, or whatever else. It would make my the side of my screen kind of freak out for a little bit. And then if I wanted to get rid of those notifications, I couldn't. But now they've, they've fixed the spacing and everything is really nice now. Uh, the Do Not Disturb seems to work for everything except for Discord. It's an improvement, I guess. If that can get kind of dialed in, that'd be good. Uh, mostly just playing around with Plasma. I mean, I use Plasma every day, so it's not like I'm playing around with it that much, but just using it. And, uh, and another piece of software I started playing around with was uh, Caligra. Are you familiar with that? It used to be the, the K office way back in the day, you know, when we were young bucks in our primes. Yes. Well, let's, <laughs> let's not go down that old man routine again. I think we, we, may, have, right. uh, we have, may have overdone that uh, in the last few episodes. But <laughs> yes, I do know that. So I, I started playing with it just a little bit because a new, a new version came out. I think I, I heard it on one of the shows, I want to say, Tux Digitals this week in Linux. So I started playing with it a little bit. It looks really nice, I would say, especially with my the dark theme that I, I prefer. But I don't feel comfortable in it. Like, I'm very comfortable in LibreOffice. I'm, I'm comfortable in <clears throat> Microsoft Office. And I'm just not comfortable in it. And I don't, I don't really know what my problem is. I don't know if it's the way they're presenting some of the, the, the functions. It just seems a little bit different to me. But it looks real good. I like how it looks. I just don't like my interaction with it. Maybe just, I'm just not used to it. But the, as far as like like font rendering is really nice and, and, and the layout is nice. It's just just not what I'm, you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm maybe a little bit broken inside and I, and I, I just haven't quite in, like grasped it, I guess. 
I remember trying it years ago and being the same impression that you have where it looked really nice. And it, particularly, obviously, if you're on plasma, it looks, yes, it looks great. <laughs> it's the same impression I have of LibreOffice in a lot of cases where I guess I am so trained by Microsoft Office, the, the features and the settings and the way that you interact with it. When I use one of the alternatives, it just, there's always something I find that doesn't do the same thing. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't do it. It's just not as straightforward. I know the ribbon was a very polarizing thing whenever it first came out, and a lot of people still don't like it. But what I've found is that because I'm so used to that that UI paradigm, that concept of separating groups of functionality by those tabs on the ribbon. So like when I do the videos with Surge, for example, and we're looking at Calc, I know how to do 99% of the things he's showing in Excel. The thing that I am lacking in most cases is that LibreOffice does it differently. And their UI is kind of, to me, again, being so used to that ribbon, it's hard to find the things that I need to do. I know that they're there somewhere, and in most cases they are. There's some things that it doesn't have, but I mean, the feature parity is pretty darn close. I've gotten to the point now where I actually prefer free Office, particularly the spreadsheet application. If I just need to do a quick spreadsheet and it's just so straightforward and easy for me to do, whereas when I go into Calc and certainly in Caligra, it was a challenge. It was harder than I felt like it needed to be. Now, that's, that's not an accusation against those pieces of software. Had I never used Microsoft Office and only ever used LibreOffice or Caligra, maybe I would find this opposite true. Maybe I would be so used to the way they do it that if I tried Microsoft Office, I would be completely lost. And what is this ribbon thing? And where's this menu item that I know what are, where it is? Or people remember where things are spatially, right? So if I know that that thing that I want is over there to the right about two-thirds of the way on the second row down... I get used to that. And if you took me away from that and put me in the ribbon in Microsoft Office, then maybe I would have that same reaction. Unfortunately for me, the opposite's true. And so that's why free Office is such an appealing experience because it's intuitive. Now, I know that you have used K-Organizer and all of that KDPIM suite stuff for a long time, and you've had good success with it. Now, I've seen that you have to do some things to maintain it, but ultimately, you're able to use it and use it effectively for you to say that you've tried a Caligra and weren't able to. I, I should say, it's not that I wasn't able to, it's just I was really, really slow at it. I, I don't want to equate it to um, using elementary OS, like that's very different than Plasma and uh, and saying like, you know, maybe Caligra's doing it wrong or anything like that because, you know, maybe Elementor's doing it wrong. I like the, um, you know, in LibreOffice, everything's right there at the top in the small icons. Although I am very familiar with the ribbon in uh, Microsoft Office because I do use that regularly as well for specific purposes. Actually, so I use LibreOffice Writer, Microsoft Office Excel. I like presentation software better in Libre Office. I think it's way better than PowerPoint, actually. But I put that one into the ribbon mode instead of the icon mode because I kind of like how the ribbon mode works over the icon mode, like the regular traditional icon mode. So I'm all over the board as far as how I like my stuff laid out. Free Office, I haven't actually really tried, like really given that a, a Free Office a try. I think I used it and it was just too bright for me or something like that. And I, I didn't like that. And I, I didn't look to see. It might have been one of those... I, uh, I I judged it too quickly because it was too bright and it hurt my eyes. Like, ah, my eyes. I'm sure there's a fix for that. And it's just 
my failure there. Well, like LibreOffice, FreeOffice has, it's not a native UI. I haven't done the work to actually see what it is, but you know when you come into LibreOffice, it, it is noticeably different from the rest of your system. And they've gotten much better at that, but FreeOffice is the same way. It, you open it and it's quite obviously not a native application using a native toolkit, at least, you know, that your, that your system understands and can theme properly or that looks right. It doesn't look bad, but it's quite obviously different. And, and it, what's funny saying that on Windows, for example, you have such a disparity between different applications. Things draw their own UIs and everything, you know, different types of buttons and you know, theming and everything. Nothing necessarily looks exactly the same. I think a lot of people from that perspective, when they hear, when they hear someone complain about, well, it doesn't look like a native app, like what does that even mean? But to us, we're so used to <laughs> something blending in. I mean, even on Plasma, right? I mean, you theme the GTK apps with the Plasma theme and, and, you know, and there are ways to do that on GTK for Qt apps as well. But it is funny to think that to us, it's so jarring. It's, it looks so different. Like, why doesn't that look the same? And, and one more thing on LibreOffice, lest anyone think I'm being entirely disparaging of LibreOffice. LibreOffice Draw is an amazing program. Oh, you know, I forgot about that. Yeah, I totally agree. That, that is amazing piece of software. I was looking for a PDF editor. I had tried alternatives to Adobe Acrobat on Linux. And there's some commercial products. There's lots of freeware utilities where, or, or open source utilities where you can split pages or combine or you know, do different things to manipulate it. But when it comes down to filling in forms and really you know, working with a PDF, like I said, the images, the manipulating a PDF, draw is pretty, pretty amazing. I had no idea until just now that you could load PDFs in LibreOffice Draw. It's you know, incredible. I'm, it's incredible. It is like, once I figured that out, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, how did I not know this? This is like, if you want to create a PDF document or edit one, perhaps. That's the editing is, is the hard part. Creating them is easy. You well, can create PDF out of anything. It's the, there's all these like commercial weirdo software packages that don't really work very well. And they're all very expensive. I read somewhere, we'll, you know, try draw. And I opened it and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It's been here all the time. Like, and it's the best solution out of everything I've tried. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. From the DLN community site, the discourse page at uh discourse.destinationlinux.network. We had some good discussions going on there. And uh, one of them, I'm surprised I unintentionally sort of kicked off, but Plasma 5.18 and what your experience has been. Had some 
pretty interesting bits of feedback from the community. Between helping somebody out with how to fix your menu, because yes, I will call it fixing the menu because I don't like kickoff. I know you, you're... Did you like kickoff? I don't remember. Or is that one that you don't like? So I used Plasma before they had the show alternatives as an option where the okay. the menu item was just a widget. And so to change it, you right. had to literally just put a different widget in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that was, yeah, it was, a, it was a different widget. Yeah. And that was actually nice when they changed it. I can't remember when they did that, though. It seemed like it was a long time ago. It, 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 well, and that's that's how long it's been, right? So uh, so I kind of got used to kickoff. I end up using KRunner most of the time on Plasma anyway, just alt space and then just type what I want because it's such a easy way to get to what you're doing. But the fact that they have all the alternatives is great because then you have your choice. And then in the new release, they're starting to move towards this simple menu concept, which is, I think, a much more familiar menu in other desktop environments at this point. It's it's a very clean you know, pop-up sort of bubble menu, almost unlike KDE in a lot of ways. So it's it's a little different. And I don't think it doesn't fit. And it's been around for a while, just like I mentioned about the menus being widgets. You could always... Not always, but for quite a while now, you could add the simple menu as the menu. It just wasn't an, a built-in alternative. Isn't simple menu being worked on by FernOS or he has a part in it? Yes. So he took it and made some changes to it. The original simple menu had the categories along the left, and it was a different layout. And I think some of the functionality underneath of it was different as well. And then, yeah, so Farron took that and switched the layout around and made it a little more, I guess, user-friendly. I, I'm pretty sure that all those changes he made are being pushed back upstream so that Simple Menu just incorporates what he's done in Farron OS. I'll have to check that out again. I, I thought the Simple Menu in Farron OS was it was nice, it was all right, but I, I thought it was just, for me, it was a little bit too much. I like the, the just the, the real simple applications menu. Well, I think that was my uh, point, uh, right? But it just doesn't, it, when you've used Plasma for so long, it just feels so different compared to that. It's almost like yeah. the, if you like the dashboard menu, right? That's that's pretty polarizing. Either you do or you don't. I don't like it, yeah. but I have one system where I use it. My kitchen system that's above the uh, above the sink. I use it as a touchscreen, and I find the dashboard is a better interface than the application menu as far as getting to things I want to get to because everything is just so giant. Which is a complaint I know some people have. You know, it's great for fat fingering, or if you know if you got you know some uh, cookie dough on your fingers and you don't care <laughs> if you, you can wipe it off later, it works really well. So, um, but in that so context, I see a purpose though, right? for that. Yeah, exactly. In that right. context, that's the purpose. And again, the power and flexibility of Plasma is such that they give you all these different choices, and it's user preference. The failing might be that Kickoff was the was the default, and if you didn't like Kickoff, and like I said, like I just didn't really think about it or know better, so I just kind of begrudgingly used Kickoff. But because I was using K Runner, it really didn't make that big of a difference. The fact that they have all the alternatives is great. I think it's if they move away from kickoff as the default, then that might be a better choice for the first time user than kickoff is. I mean, really, any of them are fine, I think, uh, only because I know where it is and I don't really care. I'll just change it. But yeah, I, I'm interested in seeing how they in- incorporate the simple menu. If that's, just going, if that's going to be a fourth option. And then if someone's going to scream bloat later on, because that's kind of things how things seem to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's bloated. You have four options. <laughs> One of the things in Destination Linux that they were talking about was by default, GNOME shell this. And then if you look at Plasma, you know, default this if on KDE Neon versus something like Ubuntu. 
all of this stuff to me comes down to the distribution. Desktops are up, upstream from that. You know, the desktop environment, they build what they think is their ideal. And really the presentation is they have a default sort of setup and configuration, and that's what you'd get. Very few distributions outside of something like Arch are going to give you like literally the default stock experience of a desktop environment. So that's where it comes down to the distribution to make those kinds of decisions for the users that they're trying to target and support. Where if it's a distribution where kickoff doesn't make sense, then you just change it to something else. And that's the default that the user gets when they install your distribution. So I don't necessarily see it as the responsibility of the desktop environments themselves. I mean, yes, they should have a sane default that makes sense for most people that certainly is at least usable. Like you said, kickoff, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, Outside of, I've heard a lot of complaints that accessibility is a real problem in there where if you have site issues, it's very difficult to navigate that with a screen reader because of the way that it sort of slides and the category, the way, yes, it's clever the way it does that, but I could completely understand how if you were trying to get a screen reader to explain that to you, you'd be completely lost because of those levels and the way that navigation works. Yeah. And I had trouble with it initially because it, I'd, I'd hover over something and then it would kind of it would slide over. And it, to me, I, it just, it would not work with my 1980s childhood mind, I guess. It just would, I would find it so frustrating because it kept doing things. Then I found that you can change how it responds and that made it better. But then to navigate back was you had to like click then and an air to go back. It just, I didn't like the interface so much with it, but, um, but it took, yeah, pretty much until I figured out that alternatives thing, I was, I was begrudgingly using kickoff as well. And then actually for a while, how I figured that out was there was one time installing OpenSUSE, they went away from the kickoff menu and used the, um, the application menu. And that's when I'm like, oh my goodness, an alternative. This is great. And then I found, oh, it's been there for a while. I feel silly. <laughs> right. Well, you just didn't know any better, right? And that's I, No, I didn't. And I guess that's, that's kind of my point about the desktop environment is going to ship something that they consider to just be a good default. You may or may not agree with that, but that's what they're going to do. And then the distros themselves, like you said, OpenSUSE introduced this different thing and you went, wait, what's this? And then you realize, oh, it's always here, but I just never noticed. And that's really, I think, where the distribution can shine is by taking something upstream and then putting their polish on it and making it a different user experience on the same desktop. Right. And I think that at some point, though, like now, I don't really care what my default, because I know Plasma so well. I think it's, I'm, I'm a seasoned, if you want to call it that, seasoned Plasma user. No, I don't care what the default is. I'm going to change it anyway. But I think that the default should be an, at least decent. It should be sensible, as, as Michael puts it, so that it's not off-putting, I guess. Well, that's the flip side, right? When people start making decisions for you and you have a preference, then all of a sudden it's an annoyance. So sometimes when I right. try a distribution where they've monkeyed around enough with things, especially the desktop environment where I'm sort of used to, this is how this desktop environment should look to me. And it doesn't look that way. Yes, I know I can go and make those changes myself. But if they've gone far enough down the rabbit hole, it now becomes burdensome to me to get back to that known good for me, right? My, my default. I appreciate and applaud when people try new things. It's important. You have to do that. But ultimately, the flip side of doing that is that 
you can alienate users that are used to it being a certain way if you push a little too far outside of that boundary. Right. Yeah, I agree. Which is why I think it's nice that, and it's now going off on a bunny trail here, which is why I like how Baron has all those options right off the bat. So you can choose which path, like a choose your own adventure, choose your own desktop, the desktop paradigm. And I think that's that's pretty fantastic. Now for me at this point, I just created myself a little using the, the Plasma SDK. I just took my preference and I kind of stuck it into a file. So I just use that now. When I move to another machine, I just take that with me. I should probably publish that actually. I think you should. The other part of DLN community focus this week is I noticed a message on Telegram earlier today that I thought was just outstanding and really exemplified what I think DLN is trying to do. And I certainly myself am hoping that we accomplish. So Matt Strange in Telegram wrote a message, just blanket statement in Telegram about, and I'll I'll just read it. The outpouring of community support here is wonderful. You guys are so great. DLN knew what they were doing when they made a good community. I hope I can take this outpouring of good vibes and spread Linux to my college. That's a very simple statement, and it sounds very self-congratulatory. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here. But what it says to me is that here's this person who's just joining, who's experiencing the community for a fairly short period of time. I mean, it wasn't like his first day. I've I've seen Matt around for, for a little while at least. But his sentiment there is exactly what I think, like I said at the start of this, is that what what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to be an open community, an accepting community, friendly, helpful, and to see this kind of direct feedback from someone who's a recent addition to the community, it it just, it really, really made me feel good. He wasn't saying it to me specifically, but just being part of the LN and, and the, the wider Linux community. And, and I, th- I feel like this side of the community, right, if we want to play that game, I guess, or, or state it that way, where there are these communities and these groups of people that are really doing the overall Linux ecosystem or whatever you want to call it. I, I just feel like the goodwill that we foster or try to foster by being accepting and open and helping people and not being judgmental or pushy or opinionated. Yeah, we're opinionated. Everybody is, but not in, not in like a caustic way. Right. Uh, Exactly. I'm not trying, like I said, I don't feel like this is about, Hey, look what a great job we're doing. I think it's more about, this is the type of unsolicited response that I'm starting to see. And it really makes me proud to be a part of Destination Linux Network. I totally agree. I like the fact that we are that way, that we are, we're comfortable. It's like when you step into uh, the DLN community, it's like an old glove, not smelly and and, and ratty, but (laughs) you're just comfortable and (laughs) comfortable and and just, you know, very easy to work with. You're you're, you're almost happy to to put on those old gloves when you got things you got to do i don't know why i use that as an as an analogy as ter- terrible analogy but but i just it, it really it's i think it's very true that we're it's just such a nice community with a lot of different experiences and talents and you know it's it's, it's good times it is and i guess the point being what the community segment is we are encouraging you as we do every every show and maybe almost to the point of being annoying but we're really not trying to be I prefer the term ad nauseum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the nausea part of it, maybe. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if you haven't checked it out, 
if you're listening to this and you really haven't checked out Telegram or Discourse and ways to interact with the community, we love it, obviously. We value it. We think it's really important. It plays a big part in our lives. And I think it's hopefully something that a lot of people would find appealing and interesting, engaging, all of those fun acronyms. So, hey, come check it out. I think you'll like it. And without communities like this, I never would have found you, Eric. It's true. It's absolutely true. You wouldn't be hearing Nate and I right now. I wouldn't be making videos on YouTube. I wouldn't be doing any of this because I wouldn't feel as though I had anything to say or anyone to say it to. Destination Linux, episode 162. A couple really interesting things happening here. So the guest host was Stuart Langridge, which Stuart's just fantastic. I've listened to him for quite a while on different podcasts and things. He just, he has such a excellent way of expressing himself and he's funny and he's informative and just really a great personality to have on the show. And it was very enjoyable just to listen to him. I kind of view him as like a funny sage, like he's like a sage, wise old man. Sorry, Stuart. And, uh, (laughs) but he's, he's funny, you know, he's, he's like, he's really enjoyable. And the way he kind of brings things and wraps things together, it's hilarious and, and very thought provoking. And he, he has a special talent for that. He does. He does. He's very coherent and uh, is very good at explaining his point, his viewpoint, or his, you know, whatever argument he's trying to make. And he does it in a very sort of gentle, humorous way. And so even if it's something that's not popular or contradictory, it still comes off as being approachable and friendly. And of course, that whole British accent thing never hurts, at least for us, us Yanks, right? We love that. Immediately, his accent makes me think he's smarter than me anyway. So that's how I view it. (laughs) Yes, that is true. That is exactly how that works for us Americans. Yet another interesting accent on the show was Ike Doherty. And Ike's done lots and lots of really amazing things in open source over the years. He was involved with Solus. He was um, involved as <laughs> a light way of putting it. Um, a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and then Clear Linux. And now he is focused on making games, uh, specifically focused on Linux first, not exclusively, but Linux first. And I think that's a really important way to say that because... His viewpoint on it was making something that runs natively as your first priority and then being able to port that technology or just use that technology on other platforms. There's no reason to be hardline and exclusive, but certainly he is a huge advocate of Linux and open source and uses it and has built it himself. So that's his focus and his priority. Listening to him talk about game development, it's just not something I'm well versed in. And so it was very interesting to me to just hear him explain the trials and tribulations of trying to deal with the different game engines and why he decided to develop his own engine and what's involved with that and optimization and how the data is processed and presented on the screen and how the card renders it. And there's so much there. The conversation was so full of information And he's one of those people that is so well-versed in it and does it every day that I'm sure to him, much of that felt very surface level or very sort of uh, elementary maybe to him. 
But whenever I listen to that, the amount of insight I gained just from him explaining that stuff was really, you know, very enlightening and amazing to hear his his account of it and and what he's been doing. So I really enjoyed that interview. He's not someone who doesn't appear on other podcasts or in other forms of media and things. I just haven't really had the occasion to hear him speak or explain who he is and what he does. I've known his name for such a long time to finally sort of put the name to the voice and to hear the person explain, you know, what he's doing. And uh, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it, as you can obviously tell. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting his his uh, focus shift to games on Linux. I also like the fact that the engine that he was talking about was is more of like a just a, a way, again, surface layer. I don't fully understand it. Almost like an API, essentially, something you can easily use to to do something. And there's, I think there's some other projects that are similar to this, but it's it's nice to see that he's a Linux first or working on this Linux first. I, I may have talked about this before, but many years ago, like in the uh, back in my pre-Linux days and my Amiga days, so uh, when I was in when I was in high school, so like five years ago, um, in the nineties, five years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I'm bad at math. Uh, I I did programming on um i did game I, I made games i had often thought about resurrecting some of that because i have so much time you know to do these things or at least need a good excuse or some sort of a an ide or or a kit of some kind and and this really made me think about that again thinking about the to make a game again would be fun finding the time commitment obviously it was is really the big issue was it you that, that told the story that you actually found your game somewhere years later yeah, on YouTube, it's it's uh, someone someone from I think Poland did a long play of it on on YouTube. I was rather uh, amused by it. Yeah, that had to be an odd experience, honestly. Yeah, a little bit odd. I'm looking at it, I'm like, ah, you know, you you got a, a grammar issue there, and uh, and that little, little no, not not the not the, <laughs> the the evaluation of it. I mean, obviously, you're going to see your own mistakes, but just the idea that somebody somewhere found that game and was was not only playing it. But made a video about it. I, I would find that to be on, on a de- on a dead platform, or maybe not dead, but a platform in the witness protection program. Anyway, the Amiga, <laughs> yeah, you know, the Commodore Amiga. So it's not like it's a a strong, viable. Well, okay, that's arguable because I, I follow a lot of retro tech, and there's there's still development, hardware development, and software development on it. I was gonna say, hey man, if you're if you're looking at uh, you know retro games, it's it's a hot market right now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So. I don't know, but I mean, it, it wouldn't take, I was just, just thinking about it. It wouldn't take that much to port. I still have all those assets and the computer sitting right here. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, <laughs> right next to me. Wouldn't take much to port all that over, to pull that data over and, and actually just resurrect some of that. I like pixel art, any kind of pixel art games. I get a kick out of those. Uh, obviously it's a nostalgia thing, but anyway, just, it just made me think. It just made me kind of noodle that around and, and think, how fun would that be? You know, maybe as, as my, my kids get a little bit older and I know one of them has an interest in programming and he's doing electronics right now, maybe if I can get him into that programming thing and go down that path, this might be the way to do it. You know, use something like this, either this or something like this to get him into programming and, 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 and I don't know, maybe... Maybe make something that that people like. I don't know. We'll see. Or at least, you know, a good educational experience. Well, everything he's doing, he's putting out open source, obviously. The engine is, I think, going to be a very important piece of that. We see that there are lots of people who have great ideas for games. 
can execute on the artwork, can do a lot of the the heavy lifting when it comes to a game. But in a lot of cases, they have to rely on some third party engine to actually, you know, put it all together and, and make it work. So to have an alternative where it's completely open source, you will likely have a direct line of communication. You know, it's it's on GitHub. And so, you know, you can just go out there and get the code and report your issues or ask your questions. I'm sure it'll be well documented. So like, let's say your your boy did want to do something like that as a resource to have that available. I mean, I think that would be amazing. I, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's such a neat project and I'm, I'm so glad it's being done. Like I, I too, you know, it's, it's something that's needed and it's going to, it's the benefit is going to be very widespread. On episode 95 of This Week in Linux, Manjaro 19.0 was released. And I understand, Eric, that you have uh, some skin in the game there over at Manjaro. Well, it was completely by accident, but I had made a video about the second release candidate. And I put the video together of the three main releases, which are XFC, Plasma, and Gnome. Just made a, you know, a video about what the new features were. Went through the forum posts and just picked out the things they're calling attention to and took a look at them and demonstrated them. I'm familiar with Manjaro. I've used it for many years uh, off and on, but familiar with the project and the creators and the maintainers and all of that. Uh, regular on the forum and all that stuff. So I just was making one of my normal videos. And it turns out that Philip put it into the announcement post. And so I made the video. I went to bed. No big deal. Got up and it had you know, a couple hundred views. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm, you know, I'm happy that people were watching it. And then over the course of the next few days, it just got thousands and thousands and thousands of views. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I'm not disparaging my own, my own stuff, but it was just me doing one of my normal videos. Why did it, why was it getting this response? And then I figured out, oh, it's in the announcement post. At this point, it has, I think like 35,000 views or it's, it's, by far the most viewed video I've ever made. And it's a complete fluke and, and it's not something that it's like, oh, well, obviously I know what I'm doing now. And, you know, it was just the right video at the right time and it met the need of the announcement. And so, you know, I thank Philip for putting it in there, obviously, but it's just, it's Manjaro. It's it's the evolution of of what they've been doing for a long time now. And they take, as we talked about earlier, the distro taking a desktop environment and then making something their own out of it. And that's exactly what they did. They they continued on. I mean, XFC, there's some improvements and some changes, but ultimately it's their continuation of their flagship release of the XFC desktop. Plasma, they've got some great theming on there. So the Breath 2 theme, it's so well put together and such a lovely presentation of Plasma that it's hard not to be impressed by that. It's dark and it's green, so I like it. It really suits me well. Ticks all your boxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, pretty much. I like it. Like, yep, looks good. Now, I have a question for you concerning Man Manjaro. I'm a little ignorant here. It's a rolling release, so what is the 19 really encapsulating? Like, what what makes it a new version when it's a rolling release? Is there some, is there kind of it rolls and then it stops rolling or it rolls right into the next release or how, how does that work? I'm going to term it as semi-rolling. And the only reason I say that is it's a lot like OpenSUSE where it's snapshots. 
And snapshots not being as frequent as OpenSUSE, but there is sort of a point in time at which this existed. And the way that that works is, so they're taking the upstream packages from Arch, but they have their own repositories. And so when you use Manjaro, you're using Arch packages and then obviously some Manjaro packages as well. But they are taking the upstream and then they put it into unstable testing and then stable. And that's sort of their cadence of, of pushing packages through their, their build and test process. So if you're just using standard Manjaro, any of the releases, you're using stable. And what happens is as things come from Arch, they go straight into unstable. So basically running unstable Manjaro is almost the same as running just straight Arch. And then they go from unstable with some testing and things into testing uh, and then in testing. And a lot of people actually will run testing as their just default repository, because usually by the time it gets to there, they've worked out the major issues if there were any. And then once everybody's used testing for a while, they will then release to stable. Now, when they release the stable, it's usually a fairly large amount of change. There's a lot of new packages and updates. So if you run Manjaro stable, you won't get many updates for some period of time. And then when they do have a push to stable, they will release everything that's been in testing as sort of a snapshot in a way, right? They just promote all of those over to stable. And then when you update, you get all those updates. That doesn't necessarily tie itself to the releases themselves. You're going to get a lot of stable releases throughout the lifecycle of any one of their you know, overall releases. So the 19.0 release, the releases themselves, they will make some sort of significant enough change to package it as a release and then put together the ISO based on that. Now, if you're already running Manjaro, if you're running Arch, if you run an OpenSUSE, like any of those rolling releases, Solus, you know, you don't necessarily have to update when there or upgrade when there's a new release, right? It, there's, it's just, it's rolling by nature and will just push into the next release. But if you're coming to it and installing it, if you installed the old ISO, those packages are getting older and older and older. And so whenever you actually install it, you've got a bunch of updates to run. So when they release a new version, it's a new snapshot in time. And usually, again, there are significant enough changes that it is not just a repackage or a respin of the ISO. Like the Arch Linux installer, when they refresh the ISO, in many cases, it's more or less just a refresh of whatever's there. It's some amount of the packages. And the Arch installer itself doesn't have a lot of it's not big so then it's not like they include a lot of packages by default so you're always normally pulling them down from the mirrors anyway but manjaro is actually giving you a full system to install and that's kind of the difference is when they release they're more or less drawing a line in the sand and saying this is what's there when you install it i, I don't know if that was <laughs> particularly clear or so probably some infrastructural changes maybe they make to the installer i would imagine then is what i'm thinking OpenSUSE is a good example. So if you download Tumbleweed, that's a snapshot in time, right? That's when that ISO was built. And if you have it sitting around long enough, when you install that ISO, you've got a significant gap between where that was and where it is now. And so you'll have to run an update that will, could be, you know, gigantic. The ISO for OpenSUSE Tumbleweed updates whenever there's a new snapshot. So there's Maybe that's, you know, they, they never make a big deal out of that. Yeah. Right. But let's say I didn't go download that latest 
maybe I have a copy that's some weeks, if not months old, I may not think, oh, I should probably go get the new one. And because it can be so large. So for OpenSUSE, it's a, you know, what, four or five gigabytes. 4.3, I think is last time. (laughs) Yeah. So I may not want to just, depending on how old it is. Now I know better, maybe someone doesn't and they think, well, I've got this version of Tumbleweed here that's six months old. I don't know. I've never installed one that, that that's that old. I don't know what that would be like. I mean, it would probably just work because it's a snapshot-based system. It would most likely work. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't. And even then, if you have connected, if you're connected to an, the internet, it'll pull the the updates already, and so your your system would never actually be that old. If anyway. you enable the online repositories, which someone might not do. Well, it'll ask you, do you want to enable online repositories if you're connected? Yeah, I kind of get it. The they just do more of a. Uh, a little more pomp and circumstance to their, their different snapshots, I guess you could say, for their stable, on the stable side of Manjaro. The other thing that came up on This Week in Linux was from the OBS project, Facebook becomes a premier sponsor. And so Facebook donated back to OBS, and OBS has said this is a, a boon for them because that means they can accelerate some of their plans that they already in place. They can actually put more man hours behind the project. I think this is a good example of a business, a company that's using open source software where they have contributed back in some meaningful way, in this case financially, to a project that has benefited them. And we've talked about this on the show before, where I almost feel like it's a responsibility. If you're a for-profit business and you use open source software and you earn income off of that software, there's no legal agreement or there's no absolute requirement that you do it. But I think being a responsible citizen of open source or you know, user of open source projects, and also just supporting something that's integral to something that you do and earn revenue from, it just makes sense to contribute back. Now, you may not like Facebook and you may not agree with them and their policies and the way they operate. And I certainly have my issue with them. But I do recognize that at least they have put some gesture of goodwill out there towards an open source project that could really use that that financial support. I think that's really amazing that Facebook did that. I, I would not have been, if I were a betting man, and I'm not because I'd have lost this one too, I would never have thought that Facebook would contribute to this project. I mean, I don't know how much did they say how much you were contributing? Maybe you didn't say it and I just told you. I want to guess, I believe he said $50,000. So whatever amount it is, that, that's pretty impressive, really. I'm sure it's chump change for Facebook, regardless. But for, for the OBS project to have that additional funding, I mean, that's huge. I, I'm a patron of the uh, of the project. And they have 189 patrons making uh, 1385 a month right now. So I'm sure that's a huge boost for this project. And that, that does, it, I, in my mind, that's got to cement it at least for some time now of, of continual development and improvements and so forth. That's a great thing. And Noah also brought it up on, on Ask Noah this week as well. And uh, he said that you will find him as a uh, contributor to the project as well. So that's good. Hopefully that's some momentum that's going to kick into it and you know Noah and others that will uh, con- continue to support this project and keep it running. You know, they've already done some amazing things with very little funding. It'll be very neat to see what they can do with a lot of funding. You know, improvements to maybe the NVENC encoder, you know, that, that piece of it. I've, I've heard some people having some issues from time to time with that and you know, maybe iron out some more bugs, more features, you know. But I'm sure someone's going to complain that's bloated because that's just what happens. 
but yeah, no, this is really awesome. This is this is probably the only time I'll speak positively about Facebook on this podcast. That is entirely possible, and not only possible <laughs> but likely. I think for me, what's yeah. important here is it's maybe more so than the monetary amount that they donated. That it's a signaling uh, thing, right? It's it's where a company actually showed public support an open source project, and I, if anything, maybe it sets a precedent. And yeah, okay, if it's and again, I I can't find them looking to see if it was fifty thousand. I, I I think it was. I could be wrong. It doesn't matter, right? It, it's setting the precedent where it's okay and and actually accepted, and maybe it becomes a an issue where a lot of companies say, you know. Our budget should have at least something in it for supporting these open source projects that are integral to our business. You know, maybe it's not a necessarily a formal like a, you know percentage breakdown of how much revenue we earn and you know something like that. But it, at least maybe by Facebook doing this, it shows other companies that it is something that they can do. If nothing else, you get some good publicity out of it, and for. Facebook right now, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Nope, not at all. They need it. <laughs> so other companies out there, you work for a company and you use open source. If you have any sort of leadership role in a company, I really think it's a responsible thing to do to go out and support these projects. Listen, even if it isn't financial support, maybe just call attention to the fact that you find it so important. Maybe just publicize the fact that that project's out there. And I think anything you can do to help those projects is worthwhile. I contend that there's some amount of responsibility to the developers of that open source project to contribute back in some way. As we come to the end of another DLN Extend, we'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you want to find some more information on us or interact with us, you know, go to the Discourse page. Or uh, for me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. That's where you can find links to my regular written blatherings podcast and my YouTube channel. So, so what about you, Eric? Well, besides DLN Extend, I'm active on the Discourse Forum, as I always mention. I do pop into Telegram now and again. And also, I create videos on YouTube. So if you go to my Destination Linux Network creator page, I have links to all of that, as well as my social media, if you should like to get in touch with me. And as we close every show, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you coming, listening, supporting, interacting, giving us feedback. Or yelling at us if you feel like it. Whatever makes sense to you. I'll get a smile out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. And until then, have a great week, everyone. See you.